Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other. The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely sometimes, you know. Hey, Susan, don't do all that. There's another way to enjoy random conversations? Now, thanks to the podcast show, I can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week. No more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation. Tune in weekly on Wednesdays and subscribe for updates on your favorite platform to the Toddcast show and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Toddcast show. My name is Todd Mira, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The Toddcast show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers. We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the Toddcast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at ToddCastShow.com. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Toddcast Show. Today we're joined by Brendan. How you doing, Brendan? Really good, Todd. How about you, man? Hey, doing great, dude. Where are you calling from? Montreal. What about yourself? Oh, wow. I'm down in uh, central Arizona. Uh, huge difference there, um, I'd imagine. What's it like in Montreal? I mean, we we wonder. I've never been to Canada, but what's it like up there? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really nice. It's really similar. I think the only difference is people are really, really nice, and it's cold. That's the only Wow. Yeah. So you're trying to say that we're all a bunch of jerks down here in the States? <laughs> it's really hard to compete with Canada, Todd. Like, everyone is just <laughs> too nice. But what about that Justin Trudeau guy, man? Like, uh, he's kind of a weirdo. I mean, he's, he's pretty handsome, though. That's the way Canadians think about it. We just go, you know, whoever's handsome is the person we vote for, and oh. just let bygones be bygones. Well, bro, um, that explains everything. And to be honest, that just makes it so much nicer for me. I'll just admire his hair from here on out. That's good. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Um, that's cool. Yeah, Canada does seem like a really friendly place, but some of the recent news and stuff has painted it to be a little hasty in some ways towards people who talk back and i don't know what all that's about but are, can you live in canada without being part of some weird movement or uh, otherwise conflicting viewpoints and all like is it does it still offer harmony amongst the people let's put it this way todd the the trucker store and all that is bad for sure but that's literally the worst news that's come out of canada so it gives you an idea of of how low-key Canadians are. Look, if that's the biggest story <laughs> that we have, it's not like, 
a hundred people were killed in this. No, the, right. the worst story was around truckers who got, which is still a bad thing. It's not a good sure. thing. But it goes to show that, yeah, there's not much going on in Canada. Really. Yeah, it's dude. But it, I mean, you guys have Terrence and Philip, though. I mean, come on. That's pretty cool on South Park. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering who you were talking about. I was like, who's Terrence and Philip? Oh, like, no. Oh, you don't know who Terrence and Philip is? I don't really watch that much South Park. I never got into it. As a uh, maybe this this will change things for you. You should definitely <laughs> look up an episode with Terrence and Philip, and you'll uh, you'll die laughing. It's a really funny perspective of the way people interpret Canadians. It's ridiculous, but it's funny. You might like it. Mm, um, just something new, you know. But yeah, I feel you. You're probably better off staying away from stuff like that. To be honest with you, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, save your mind for something useful. So, were you born in Canada? Yeah, I was born in Montreal. So, my parents immigrated from Sri Lanka in the early '90s. Wow! And then I was I was born in Canada in Montreal. So, I was given the golden ticket of life. I would say so. Wow, Sri Lanka. So, your family is originally from Sri Lanka. You got it. That's cool, man. Do you have a big family? Massive. My my yeah. mom has seven or eight siblings i i can't even keep track how many siblings <laughs> and my dad as well seven or eight siblings so yeah we got a massive we our family's so big that i do not know most of the cousins in it that's crazy wow that's what an interesting thing and so you still have family spread out you know in sri lanka as well as canada too Literally most parts of the world so we have oh, family wow. in the u.s and canada and london and switzerland in France, like I can literally go on, and of course in Sri Lanka. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Forget about the Russians and the Chinese. Uh, watch out for Brendan's family. <laughs> <laughs> it's dangerous. You know what the advantage of this, Todd, is one of the big perks of having a lot of cousins is you can pick the cousins you actually want to spend time with. So right the problem on. with a lot of families is like you, you either like them or you don't, but if you don't like them, you're kind of screwed. Whereas yeah. me, I, I, don't, I have that luxury. That is great, man. You know, it's funny. I, well, it's not really funny, but I have the opposite problem. Most of my family is dead. And the, oh. ones, yeah, the ones that are still alive, there's three of them. And they're terrible people. Like, uh, the word family, like, out the window, man. Like, I, I just can't even believe, like, the way that... In our culture here, like, I'm assuming maybe in Sri Lankan culture, it's similar to other Eastern you know, cultures like India and whatnot, where they take care of their families. And it's like a right. really big thing. You know, your grandparents will end up living in your house and you That's love great. them. And right. Everybody gets along. And no, man, it was the opposite. When my grandparents were finally gone, like grandfather first. And then like 15 years later, my grandmother died uh, the moment, and I mean before, but the moment she was gone, it was like, holy crap, like, who are these people? It was shocking. So be thankful, my man, because, uh, you know, that's huge, dude. Family's everything, man. I've always believed it. Um, but, you know, sometimes we get dealt a sour hand in the life, you know what I mean? And we got to work with it. So, you know, if you ever get pissy with one of your relatives, just remember it could always be worse, right? I'm with you, man. I, I completely agree with that. And obviously there's drama in our side of the family too, but I sure. think overall it makes a lot of sense culturally. But you work it out. That's the thing, you know. Of course. That's the key, right? And that's what love is about, working things out, right? 
And uh, speaking of which, with such a big family, you probably had quite an example uh, growing up. Were both of your parents whole? Or are they still together? So my dad passed away three years ago. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. Oh, it's okay. It's totally fine. I didn't I do it. it. <laughs> yeah, you really didn't do it. The alcohol. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so he died three years ago. So it's it's my mom and my sister that we live primarily together. And then most of my family lives in Toronto. So we visit them twice a year. Right on, man. That's really cool. And you've lived with your family forever? Or forever, actually. Really? Yeah, I still live with them. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's so cool, man. What's that like? I love it, honestly. But let me let me draw a caveat. I got really lucky with my mom and my sister. They're awesome. Yeah. They're really, really great people. I get along. I haven't argued with them in over a decade. I don't remember the last time we fought. And, and the reason we all stay together is because of a mindset that I think a lot of South Asian families have, which is, which is a concept I, I kind of, I guess, put words to it called income combining. So I think with a lot of American families, what they do, the mindset with a lot of them, I'm not saying, I'm not going to say all, but let's say a lot of them is, okay, the second you get out of college, it's like, go, go find your own life. Like go, go live somewhere else, right. go be with some. Whereas our perspective has always been like, why should we pay for two mortgages when we could just split one? Because we'll just that's have more money, about. right? That's what so I'm talking about. Yeah, man. Hey, uh, is there like a master class to become Asian? I mean, can I do that? <laughs> Honestly, dude, it, it's literally three simple things. One, just live together, save all the extra money. I'll say the second one is get an arranged marriage. No, I'm kidding. That's not the second one. That's just hey, dude, I'd go for that. that yeah. <laughs> The single life where I live is terrible, terrible. I'd go for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a show called Indian Matchmaker on Netflix. Every Indian person has seen that show. It's like this. (laughs) That's so funny. Is that that a real thing? I mean, do they still do stuff like that? It is. It is a real thing. It's just not as prevalent so in in my my parents generation so all of my my parents like not all of my i have one parent set of parents but i've been all of my cousins parents almost all of them got an arranged marriage because that's just tradition that's how it worked whereas today that option is available even to me it's available but it's not forced it's just like a if you can't find anyone you can you can you have that trump card basically <laughs> no pun intended uh, that's funny, man. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, we don't have systems like that here. Like, uh, they answer the call in really different ways in this country. <laughs> <laughs> Everything from weird to weirder and gross to disgusting. So, yeah, and uh, it's just not like go. that at all. But that's good. That's unity, and you know that that's a really cool cultural you know, foundation, like to work together in that way is really cool. So let's say that you decided you'd go for one of these arranged marriage. Do you, you know, do you get to see a picture or like, how does it work? Just out of curiosity. So before back in the day, Todd, believe it or not, some, some people just got married off a picture, literally. Wow. It's really, really interesting. These days it's a lot more modernized. So mm-hmm. what happens, obviously I don't know the full process because I haven't started it yet. I don't want to get married for a while, but right on. But I would say the, the process, what it looks like today is, is you, you get these things called biodata. So biodata, or as we say in Indi- with an Indian accent, biodata, basically what that is, is you get, you can basically get their CV, you get their picture, what their education level is, what their income, like everything. And then you go on dates, like prearranged dates. You don't kiss them. You don't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't do anything beyond that. You literally just talk to them. You shake their hand, maybe give them a hug, and yeah. you do that a bunch of times until you find the person you like. That's amazing. How cool is that, man? Um, 
here in Arizona, there's uh, places down in Phoenix. I live about a hundred miles or so north of Phoenix, up in the mountains in Arizona. And down in Phoenix, there's all these pie gal clubs. And uh, somebody told me that the way to find an Asian bride is to go down and play pie gal and get to know people's parents. And uh, through the parents, you know, if they like you, then they'll hook you up with their daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't give you that advice. That sounds a little off to me, but sure. Oh, wow, dude. Really? Is it that easy? I've never been, you know, but uh, it, it's tempting. I don't really know how to play pie gal either. So, I mean, whatever. Um, but that's the thing, you know, I thought that was really kind of funny. Uh, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but uh, I, I'd imagine they're looking for more than just a good personality if they're going to, you know, share that they're, you know, I mean, come on, that's your daughter, man. Like, I mean, I don't know. It just, it does seem a little weird, but, you know, hey, stranger things have happened. So, you know. Indeed. Yeah. And so growing up as a child, let's go back way back when, uh, what's your earliest memory of your future? What do you think uh, resonates? Uh, what's the earliest point that you can think back right now that relates to your vision of your future? Oh, that relates to my vision of the future. I would yeah. probably say my first day of preschool where I was <laughs> really? like crying my eyes out because my parents wanted me to go to French school. And I was yelling at my dad and my mom saying, I don't want to learn French. I want to go to English school. And the reason they did that was because in Montreal, you need to know how to speak French, but it's a language I didn't know how to speak. So I basically didn't understand anybody for like the first two to three years of my my education. So that's probably the earliest memory that obviously plays into my life today. Wow, that does. And so as a child, you were in school with people that you couldn't understand? Literally, yeah, yeah. From the ages of four to seven, because everyone spoke French, right? So I didn't yeah. understand. I basically only understood my kindergarten teacher. Evelyn, because she, that was like a little, that, you got to see a little bit of my French there. So, and the reason is because she spoke English. So she's basically the only person I could, I could talk to. Wow. That's crazy, man. What was it like trying to play with kids and all that? It, it was tough. It was tough. But what I will say is I got lucky as well, because since I'm, I'm Canadian and I grew up in a Canadian education system, a lot of these French kids were actually really nice to me. It wasn't like I was getting bullied every day. Sometimes I got made fun of because I have a crooked left arm because of a surgery I had when I was younger. Oh. And I had a cast for like from like kindergarten up until first grade. But I would say for, for most of it, it was really focused on like they just wanted to get to know me. So even if they didn't understand me, they would still smile and come up to me and try to try to speak English. So, so that was uh, it was a That's fun cool. time. I'm grateful. That's cool, man. Very, very cool. And as you grew up, uh, were your parents influential in helping you to pursue career, or what was the impetus for, like, the focus of the family? Like, uh, as you were raised, what was the primary goal you think for your parents in raising you? Was it to set you out on a career path, or to find your passion, your purpose? Like, how did all that work in terms of you becoming who you are? Yeah, de definitely not passion or purpose. I, I, I think for me and my parents' goal was to give me the opportunity that they never had or any of their generation of families never had. Right? I was the first student, oh, student, first person ever in my lineage of families to have a university degree, right, mm -hmm. from, a, from a first world country. Uh -huh. so, so definitely a big deal. 
So definitely the plan that they had, which, you know, that's why we never fought because we were both aligned because that's what I actually wanted for myself too, was mm -hmm. to get a, get a nice corporate job out of university, whether it's to work at a company or a bank, something that my, my parents thought was the dream. And honestly, it was mine too. So that was really the focus was get a great, good, get good grades, get a great education. But the reason, once again, maybe we fought around it like the first 12 years of my education because I never studied. So I'd always get into trouble. But I was pretty good academically when I when I was 13 or 14. So my parents were always happy for my success. That's awesome, man. Were you the kind of kid that uh, didn't really need to study? I mean, there's some of those out there, you know. You know, I wish I actually wasn't one of those kids. I had to study really hard. So basically when I was in when I was in elementary school, I wouldn't study at all. And I would get, I don't know, like my average was probably 70% or something. And my I would always get jealous of my friends who never ever studied and would have 85, 90% averages and it always drove me crazy. But when I got to high school, sorry, yeah, when I got to high school, and I started studying really hard. My, my grade point average went up like crazy. So I actually had to work really hard. But yes, I was pretty successful academically. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, do you have siblings? I missed that part. I know your parents have lots of siblings. But do you have siblings? I do. I have a little sister. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Very cool. And so are you, and well, how little? Like a uh, big, big difference in age? or? Oh, not massive. Like four years. So she's oh, finishing okay, up cool. university now. She's in her last, uh, her last uh, semester, last two semesters. Wow, she's going to so be an English teacher. Yeah. Oh, even better. And so she'll be the second person to graduate. That's correct. Yeah, you got it. Actually, I never thought of it that way. Actually, until you brought that's it up. That's cool, man. <laughs> wow. So you set a little bit of a trend. Yeah, that's that's that would be. I mean, I'm glad. You know, I'm sure she would have made it there with with or without me. But yes, I mean, I think it goes back to South Asian culture, right? Like, I paid for most of her education because that's just I the know. way that that we do things. But I will admit, on the record, Canadian education is way, way, way cheaper than really? American education. So she's graduating debt free. Right on, man. Yeah, things here have gotten out of hand. When I first started going to college. Oh my gosh. And community college, I think it was $2 and 50 cents a unit. And uh, classes were like, I don't know, three to six units or something. I don't know. I, I think I remember the number 12. I think like 12 was a full load or something like three or four classes. But yeah, that was cheap. And then it went up and up. And I remember people got pissed off when it went to $5. Like, and now it's like, oh my gosh, hundreds of dollars. dollars. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. Like, I mean, it's totally ridiculous. And if you're from out of state, it's one thing. If you're from in state, it's another. And man, yeah, the whole thing is a racket. That's what stopped me, actually. Um, I was in college and, well, my grandfather died. But in the uh, early 90s, I was attending college and going for a career in broadcasting. Uh, my major was speech communications and uh, it was like the greatest thing I thought you know this is me and blah blah and then so when my grandfather died I stopped school and somewhere along that path I never went back and I don't regret it really but uh, part of me is kind of disappointed I didn't finish the BA because you know that's what everybody wants it seems unless you're doing your own thing <laughs> true and that's a whole nother story. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was different too. College was different. You know, they really focused on getting the message through to you and teaching you how to think. And that's the funny thing about college. Have you ever thought about this? But like, 
<laughs> going to school is really about one thing. And uh, I never really thought about this until like later in life, but like it's there to teach you to think. And I don't know if everybody really realizes that that's going into school. Do you think that people realize when they're in school, it's about teaching you to think, not jumping through hoops? Yeah, you know, it's funny, Todd. I, I think that that should be the purpose of education, but I feel it's flawed in both ways, which is one, the student goes there to get a job. Like I didn't go to college to learn how to think. I went there to, how do I get a good job out of this? And the other side of the equation is the teachers don't really teach us how to think, right? Mm -hmm. Because because the goal is just, can you pass this t standardized test? So I think the purpose is correct. The intention is correct, but the way it's being taught is incorrect. Yeah, man, totally. Yeah, agreed, agreed. It would have made algebra a lot easier. I struggled with math. I've always had a problem with algebra. And anything imaginary to me, like on paper is... I just don't get it, you know, and so for some reason I got lost in that area. But if they had just explained it, like, look, you just need to learn how to follow a formula. That's all it is. And if they explained that to me, that would have been so different. But I remember developing a bit of an attitude about it because it was like, man, this is stupid. You know, none of this makes any sense. And if I, if I ever use this in my real life, like, I'll be shocked. You know what I mean? But sure enough... There's been once or twice where simple algebra did help solve a problem. <laughs> so, you know, remembering those formulas did actually help a little bit. But I just wish somebody explained it to me differently early on, because for my motivation, it probably would have made a big difference. I'm with you, man. Yeah, dude, for sure. And so you were um, pretty successful going through school, except for getting in trouble here and there. Um, <laughs> You know, tell me, tell me a little bit about uh, some struggles that you've had, you know, growing up. What's it, I mean, it can't be all perfect. Have you had any struggles that you had to contend with that kind of, uh, you know, posed an obstacle to where you were headed? Yeah, no, my life was perfect. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't, I, there's a lot of challenges. I'll say the first time, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. So my mm -hmm. parents were, were both factory workers, so. So for me, it wasn't around like, okay, maybe a few times I got the right Christmas gift. But sometimes, I remember this one year, we got Christmas gifts at the dollar store, right? But, but I never understood why. And mm -hmm. I was so upset that, that we didn't go to Toys R Us. And obviously mm -hmm. now I, I understand it. So that's, so that's mm -hmm. one piece. Mm -hmm. I would say the other piece is I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional household. Even if my mom and my sister were awesome. You know, my dad was an alcoholic. So I grew up in a uh, dysfunctional family. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so, and that was a gift, you know, today when I look back at my life because it drove me to become the person I am today. So wow, he really man. taught me what I shouldn't do in life mm. versus what, uh, what I should be doing. So that's, uh, that's a lot of my upbringing. I would say those are the two big challenges I had. That's interesting. Um, my father was an alcoholic too, um, but he was a really fun drunk, man. And he was great. Like uh, he was a functional alcoholic. <laughs> But I didn't really get to see him in the context of family. He left when I was really young. I was 18 months old. And then um, my mom kind of tricked him to coming back into my life when I was 11. And so I finally got to meet my father, you know. And, uh, man, to be honest, his drinking was like one of his greatest attributes. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, dude. It's, it's like I, I thought you might get a kick out of this story. But, yeah, my father was an amazing guy. And. 
he was different. He was really different. And, um, you know, back in his day, he was, um, you know, he fought in the Korean War and wow. he was in the uh, army and he was the leader of this thing called the Army Jazz Showmobile. And it's like the army's jazz band, you know. And so that was his thing. And he used to be really good at writing music and playing uh, mostly the bass trombone, but other instruments as well. But one of the coolest parts about him was that he was friends with people like Miles Davis and, you know, John Coltrane and Dizzy Gillespie and Thelonious Monk, you know, and it's crazy, dude. Like he was living in Panama once. He got a monkey as a pet and named it Thelonious Monkey. And, you know, somewhere <laughs> my mom stole it, um, unfortunately, but somewhere I have. No, no, the monkey is dead. <laughs> That's a long time ago, but yeah, yeah. Um, apparently, John Coltrane, when I was born, gave me a little silver cup with my name and birth date on it. And uh, I've seen it all through my life in the jewelry cabinet that my grandmother had, you know, but like my mom stole it and uh, it's gone. But, you know, I got lots, <laughs> lots of stories about jazz and like the people that were doing the stuff that we all love, you know, as jazz fans and all that. But anyway, so my father growing up, you know, it's like, I don't know, he was off doing his own thing and he was kind of a free spirit, you know, and you know who Jack Kerouac is? You ever heard about Jack Kerouac? No. Who's that? All right. That's a good one. Um, just for American culture and uh, something called a beatnik. He was a beatnik and uh, kind of a vagabond and so he would like go out and just cruise, you know, and he'd hitchhike and end up in different places and, you know, really free spirit. My father was kind of like that, but he had his own car, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, he like could more fix modern. Right, right, right. And he could fix it like on the side of the road, like him and his brother literally rebuilt an entire engine of a 72 T-Bird in a rest area on the side of the road. Like they, they, the car broke down, they went and got all the parts, rebuilt the motor right there in the parking lot, like that kind of stuff. And I mean, to me, that's amazing. You know what I mean? No books or anything. They just know what to do. And so my father had gifts and certain abilities and things. And he was a electrical engineer and like uh, really good at fixing things. And so like, there's really nothing he couldn't fix if it was electric or mechanical, he could come along after 20 other people have tried to figure it out and failed, and he would know just what to do. And so I always credited that to his spiritual existence, and that's what's so different about him. And I thought I'd bring it up to share and kind of contrast, but I learned about spiritual stuff and metaphysics from my father, and I'm so grateful that he was in my life, because if he wasn't, I would never have gotten that, at least not from him. But he was a really amazing guy. Like, you know, you know, we, we both drank a lot in Florida because it was hot. Like I lived with him in Florida and it was really hot. So we might, you know, him and me, and it might sound pretty crazy, but back then I was young and stuff, you know, but we'd go through like a case of beer a day, you know, weak beer, but we'd drink wow. a whole case, just him and me, you know, and not really get drunk, but you know, just one of those weird things, but he would get hammered sometimes and he just so much fun and never causes problems or anything, never abusive, you know, the, all the years I've known him before he died, like he raised his voice to me once, one time. And I understand why it's totally cool, you know, but like one time 
you know, in the whole time I knew him, which was like 10 years. Um, but anyway, I was just kind of curious, you know, aside from, you know, alcohol can be really a detriment, I guess. I can't say it's a plus. Uh, in my case, it didn't really cause any problems. But did you see anything that was positive come out of that, even though your father was abusing alcohol? Was there ever a moment where you noticed that, like, he caught himself or, like, did something to make up for it? Like, I mean, did he ever even know that, you know, that problem that he had was impacting his family? Do you think that he understood that? Uh, definitely. And I'll tell you why. You know, when I was 15 years old, I only share this story a lot, but I'm happy to share it with you. Please. When, I, when I was 15, I made the decision to stop talking to him. So we actually lived in the same house for eight years, and I just pretended he didn't exist. Because I realized he was the only negative person left in my life. So if I just stopped talking to him, I'd be really successful in life. And that's what happened. Wow. That's amazing. And so I'm sure there was probably a reaction. Like, he noticed this, right? Yeah. And my mom was like, you got to keep talking to him. And they did that for a month until he eventually gave up. So I never talked to him until he died. I just talked to him on the last day. And that was it. Oh, man. Do you regret that at all? If I'm being honest, Todd, I really don't actually. Yeah, that's understandable. No, no problem there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I, really, I get you. But, but but there's there's a piece though, you know. I think I think what helped me a lot in my my healing process is realizing that he's actually the biggest gift I had in my life. Because if he never immigrated to Canada, I wouldn't have achieved the success I have today. I wouldn't have became the person I am today. Because if I started my life in Sri Lanka, there's no way I would have got this here this quickly. And I would have had an Indian accent, so that wouldn't have helped right. in, my, in my journey now and what I'm doing today. But, but there's a lot that I'm super grateful for. And I think that's when I realized that it wasn't really about beating him because the game was never real. It was about how do, I, how do I use the opportunity that he gave me to make a transformative impact in the world? And when you transition to that, you live life a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that, I mean, was he drinking his whole life or did he start drinking when he got here? Like, what was that part of about? That's a good question. I don't know when it started. If I had to give it... <sighs> Wondering what the catalyst was. Yeah. I don't really remember what the catalyst was. I think it was maybe his friends or something. Mm. I never really asked it, but I think it was... I think he started when I was probably like six or seven. So yeah. 20 years ago, maybe. I would love but I'm to not know sure, that. to be honest. I'd love to know these questions. You know, like, I've got questions from my father, and I think, anyway, that my father drank a lot because he really wanted to escape his memories of killing people in the war, and uh, he had to do some terrible things, and it was totally against his conscience, you know, but he has to live with that, and he killed a lot of people, and... Um, you know, watch people die around him. And I can kind of understand, you know, with PTSD where a lot of veterans yeah. would struggle with addiction and whatnot, you know. Um, so I was just wondering, like, did he get to America, I wonder, and have disappointments or fear or, you know, I guess we'll never know, but we can hypothesize. It's a great question, man. I've actually never asked myself that question, so powerful. Yeah, yeah, it's just interesting. I always wonder what people's motivations are and, I don't know you or your father or anything, but like in my heart, like what I sense and feel is that he probably tried to do the best he could and 
when he did it, you know, it led him into a new place and, you know, in new places we can be really insecure. And so it's really easy to get lost and, you know, maybe that's it. It's just a shame because on the other side of that, you know, he could have decided, you know what, this doesn't feel right. I need to have a healthy relationship with my wife and children and whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, that's always a choice, right? Like, even if you're drunk, like, I mean, I'm sure you've drank in your life once or twice at least. Never but... once, actually. Really? Never once, yeah. For, you're not kidding? I'm actually not kidding, no. Wow. I've had, I've had sips of wine in my life, but I've never, I've never had beer. Oh, well, that's interesting. Um, that's good. That's good. That's good. But it does definitely, like, I call it a social lubricant. That's one of my favorite terms for alcohol. And it is. It's like uh, you add alcohol to people, and for the most part, they'll loosen up and start telling you things that, you know, are personal and all that. That's the, that's the kind of drunk I want to be around. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so crazy. So no drugs either in your past? Zero, man. That's amazing, dude. You're clean as can be, dude. You know what? You better watch out. Somebody might want to harvest your organs, brother. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny, man. I gotta, I gotta watch out for sure. Right, 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 right. Yeah, human trafficking is a real problem. (laughs) (laughs) Even in Canada, they'll come and get you. You're not that far from Mexico. I'm just teasing. Uh, what's it like being clean, man? Like, I mean, I honestly, you know, I started smoking marijuana when I was 11. I had alcohol from earlier than that, you know, a couple of beers or whatever with friends. And, you know, all the stuff that you do, I've tried other drugs in college, um, never got addicted, never understood why people get addicted. But I've had the experience and I'm really grateful for it, especially acid, psychedelics or amazing but that's a whole nother deal it changed my life like literally like overnight like psychedelic drugs in high school were off the charts cool but don't do them kids or adults uh it's just you know things were different back then um but what's it like you know being really clean dude because like you stand out you know you're the you're the example of purity honestly if you haven't tainted yourself with uh substances or anything that change your perception or anything like that you're you're kind of standing in a category a little bit alone dude like which is a very special thing what's it feel like you know because like i mean i'm sure you have clarity and there's differences between people who use substances and people who don't but it's rare i get to ask someone who's never really had that experience what's it feel like to be so clean and like healthy i'm sure and whatnot spiritual aspect of that whatever comes up like what's that experience like for you yeah man when i take a shit a tree just grows out of it (laughs) that's great now does it grow out of your ass or does it grow out of the toilet bowl it definitely grows out of the toilet thankfully oh good okay good yeah that seems more fun you can come back and watch it from time to time (laughs) yeah so, so it's a great question, man. I, once again, I've never thought about this, but I th- let me start with this. I, th- I think Please. it's important for me to caveat. I'm, I'm never going to preach that my way of living in life is the right one. Like all of my cousins smoke weed and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they, you know, when we're always hanging out, they're always smoking. I just don't, I just don't smoke off the split. That's all. That's but I, cool. I think, I think for me, what my rationale has always been 
to never reduce my probability of success. I think there's one thing that I, but even if it could increase it, in any sense, I like I'm the most risk averse person you'll probably ever meet in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Even if I am an entrepreneur and I took a lot of risks to do what I'm doing today, and the reason is because I realized that there's only one thing that we're really all optimizing against, which is the amount of time that we have left on Earth. So. Basically, what I do in my vision has always been, how do I just listen to people wiser than me? So I've listened to people who have done psychedelics, people who haven't. So I listen to all their opinions and, and people who have smoked weed and there's nothing wrong with weed and sure. people who haven't and just analyze that. And then I've just listened to every perspective. I think what I just realized is if, if what I'm doing right now is getting me the results that I'm looking for in life, yeah. I might as well just keep that going to get what I want. And then after that, I, I might try a joint or a cigarette when I'm towards the end of my life. I don't think I'll do it anytime soon. Dude, don't wait. It's really great. You'll love it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> no, you know, the funny thing about marijuana is uh, now, I mean, it's come a long way since I was a kid, man. I mean, back in the day, you know, you had two choices and that was it. And, you know, nobody really knew where they came from. But one of them was cheap and the other one was a little bit more, but it was always worth it to get the little bit more, you know, and whatever. But um, I mean, this is way long ago. Um, But now they have this stuff called CBD. They have CBN and CBG. And those three things um, and probably others I don't know about, but it keeps changing. Those three things are part of the constituents of the marijuana plant. And so like the thing that gets you high is THC. And so if you want the experience of feeling a certain way or like, you know, uh, really, uh, let's just say the psychoactive component is what gets you high. That's THC. So now they have plants and uh, tinctures and pills and suppositories, man, lotions. I mean, you can take it any way you can figure out where it goes, like. You can put it in your body and it's amazing and it doesn't make you feel different. It's completely void of the THC. So that's the cool thing about it. So like if you had like fibromyalgia or if you had like problems like, you know, let's say that you have cancer and you're going through chemo or you have other things that relate to appetite and, you know, joint pain, neurological problems even, like in some cases you can take CBD and not experience the high that other people are experiencing and still get the benefit of the plant. That's the cool thing. You know, that's the cool thing right there. So like folks like you that, you know, hey man, there's no need for this, but you know, if you had this problem and one of those things can address it without changing your mindset or your perception, you know, in my mind, that's a win, you know, because then it helps old people and others who are afraid of it, you know, because a lot of people are afraid of it, really. You're not afraid of it, are you? Not at all. I completely agree. And I, and I definitely think weed should be, should be legal throughout the, mm-hmm. whole, the whole world. Isn't it up there in Canada? It is. It is in Canada, absolutely. Like recreationally but, or just with a card? Oh, actually recreationally at this point, yeah. Wow. Is it, uh, I mean, around here it's the same. In Arizona, it's recreational as well. Um, do you notice anything different, like with that? you know, change? Like, do you remember when it changed and became legal? Did you notice anything different about anything 
in <laughs> the only thing i noticed was there was long wait lines to get weed which i thought yeah. was interesting yeah 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 i remember that too really long lines like wow i've driven past a few of these places and it was a little surprising to me to be honest because there's so many of them like here in arizona there's a lot of them around in different places but um yeah it just it surprises me too that people are i mean more people than you'd think and a lot of people that you wouldn't think you know and it's really interesting. Yeah. Times are a changing, man. Times well are a changing. Yeah. Well and said. speaking of which, we want to dig into some meat here and get some protein out of this conversation, brother. Um, let's talk a little bit about what you do. And I'd like to learn a little bit about how what you do helps others and, you know, give us a little taste of uh, your entrepreneurial side and what it is you're up to these days and how that helps others. And, and let's uh, go down that road a little bit together. Yeah, for sure, Todd. So, so going back to the story, you know, I went. I grew up in French school my whole life, and my goal was really to get a job, right? To get out of mm -hmm. poverty. So I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. That was never the goal. Really. So I went to, so I went to business school, to do to be an accountant essentially. <laughs> so oh. It's like the most interesting story in the world. So no, 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 it's, it's your story, man. That's what makes it interesting. So it is interesting. <laughs> It's interesting to me. I love that. Man. I appreciate it. So anyways, I got to business school. I had an oversized suit on because I couldn't afford anything better. And I knew that I needed to work at one of the big four accounting firms. So I went to these cocktails with my big suit on. And I would ask all these kids who are two years older than me who had internships at the companies I wanted to work for. I said, hey, like, how did you get this job? And they all said two words, Todd. They said case competitions. And I was like, what in the world is that? Case competitions? Yeah, case competitions. I was like, what the heck is that? Good question. And, and they basically explained that a lot of these businesses, they host these competitions to come up with students and solutions. So whoever pitches the best solution, they get job offers. And I was like, huh, wow. I should probably do these. Yeah. So I did them and I saw them. I saw them essentially as my ticket out of poverty because if I get that job, I could, I could provide a whole new living for my, for my home and the people around me. So that's what Amen. happened. I started doing these case competitions. I got really good at communication because I needed communication to win them. And How then as old I got, were you? I was 19 when I started. Okay. So at this point, I'm 19 in the story. And then as I got older, 20, 21, 22, from those ages, I actually started coaching a lot of people on how to speak. Really? Not because I thought it would be a – yeah, yeah. So basically what happened – was as I was doing these case competitions, you become a mentor basically in the program. You start winning a few of them. Mm -hmm. And then I started to just train the other students who were 19 when I was 20 who were joining the program and who were competing for the first time. So I just started helping them with their communication. So it wasn't for money or anything. I just enjoyed it. Yeah. So I got really good at it. That's what happened, Todd. I got a great job at IBM. So I wasn't really looking to be a business owner. I just started making YouTube videos in my mom's basement and I called it master talk because I felt that everything I was teaching them that I kind of accidentally learned myself wasn't available in the world for free. So I just started making videos and it turned into something I never expected. Your mom's basement. Yeah, man, that's, that's <laughs> the game. I started making videos in my mom's basement with the phone. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. People that live in mom's basement are supposed to be playing video games and overeating. What's your story? Your story is different. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really weird today. Kind of flash forward to where I am right now. You know, I trained a lot of high level execs and CEOs and they all know that I live in my mother's basement. So it's not really oh, a secret. Love it. 
I know it's funny though. It's funny. Right. And, and because also, you're you're killing it. That's what's funny about it is you're actually doing the opposite of what most people think about that. You know. Yeah, I, I think I think people live in their mom's basements get a bad rep because my my story is very different, right? Which is like I actually pay all the bills. Like my mom doesn't work, right? So I pay for the mortgage and the and the food and everything, and I and I'm going just bankrolling all of this, and I pay for my my mom my sister's education. Right. Oh, so man. it's just the reason we all live together. Like I think we were talking about this before with the pod. I don't even remember if we pressed record before or after, but basically, it's this whole idea that South Asian families. They play a very different game. So if you look online uh, for people listening to the pod and for you, Todd, it's an interesting thing. If you look at the U.S. median household income, it's 70000 But if you look at the U.S. median household income for Indian families specifically, it's actually $123,000. Wow. And the, yeah, the reason is because there's many reasons because a lot of them have technology careers. And they pay a lot of money. But the other piece is a concept I call income combining which is instead of paying for three mortgages, you know, and kicking people out of your house when they're 18 or something, just live with them until you guys all get married. And if you do that, you'll have a lot of cash to play with. Exactly. Teamwork, man. That's beautiful. Very beautiful. Makes the dream work. Yeah, dude. So let's go back. You're 21 or 20, 19, 20. Yeah, exactly. So, so basically what happened is in my last semester of college university, I was basically like the professional athlete who was about to retire. It's just my retirement was much earlier because you could only do these case competitions, Todd, if you're in business school. So once you graduate with a degree, you can't compete anymore. So it's the same thing when an NBA player or an NFL player gets really old, they can't play in the league anymore. So one day there's 10,000 people screaming your name and the next day you're irrelevant. So I kind of had the same thing on a much smaller scale. It just wasn't 10,000 people. It was 10 people. Right. I was like, oh, my God, it's Brendan. And then after that, I kind of lost my sense of the game. So I was looking for something exciting to do rather than just working at IBM, even if it was a great company. And it gave me a lot of financial resources. In my last semester of school, Todd, somebody asked me the most brilliant question. And the question was, how did you learn how to speak? And I said, huh, I never really thought about that. They're like, well, did you hire a coach? Did you do Toastmasters? Did you do any of that stuff? I was like, uh, no, I don't have any money for that. And they said, did you watch YouTube videos on communication? I was like, did those things even exist? I didn't even know that. <laughs> like, like, so I started watching a lot of the YouTube videos because somebody told me about them. And I was horrified by what I saw. I was like, this sucks. Like, you have right? this old six-year-old PhD guy who doesn't know anything about communication. Anyways, I just got pissed. Yeah. So I just started making videos. And I just had the naivete to think that I could make better videos. That's all. Right on. No, That's no. All, There's nothing naive about that. That's purpose, man. You know, that's a yeah. purpose that you have. You were led to that place, right? Like, I mean, that's a really special thing, really. Not naivete. I, I would disagree with that. I, I think there was a little bit of that. There was a little bit of naivete in the, in the thought that, because I knew so little, that I was like, yeah, I can make better videos than these guys because I got better energy and I, and, and I just know how to speak better on camera, even if I didn't at the time. But I think the other piece is what you said, which I think resonates for sure, is, is the idea of purpose. So as I was making these videos for fun, months went by and I got really fortunate. I met my business partner. He's the one who really taught me how to turn this into a coaching business. And he asked me straight up, you know, you could charge money for coaching, right? And I was like, huh? Like, what do you mean? Because I've been doing it for free for four years. He's like, no, executives would pay you thousands of dollars. And he ended up being 100% of the money there. Yep. No pun intended. No, no, you're right. Yeah, exactly. And no pun, that's nothing to laugh at. That's a cool thing, man. That is a cool thing. And so where did it lead from there? 
how did you get your first gig and like uh what's your what's your memory of really getting that kicked off in the right direction yeah for sure man so 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 let me paint the picture a little since this is a little bit more of a please, personal please. podcast Take so, so i start i start the channel in 2019 january right and and i'm at this point i'm still broke like same story holds parents are factory workers at this point my dad's unemployed so we have like very little money left in the bank i got like a few hundred bucks and then when i start working in april dude my whole life changed at ibm like i went from being this broke kid making like 75 80 grand a year starting salary and if i stayed there for three years i would have made like 150 200 basically but it's a slog right you're not working 40 hours a week you're working a lot and i got put up in these 200 dollars a day hotels people were calling me sir at breakfast i didn't understand what the hell was going on man i was like holy shit yeah. and then when i got my first pay i just couldn't believe how much money it was and it wasn't like ten thousand dollars we're talking like two grand maybe a grand or two sure and I was like, wait, I get this every two weeks? So I wasn't like thinking about, oh my God, I'm going to start master talk. I was like, screw being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I got money. Like I'm living the life. Mm -hmm. So obviously being the, the clean angel, I guess, as you described me, the, pure, the purest man on, <laughs> on planet Earth. Or at least in Canada. At least in Canada. I'll, at least in Canada, sure. I'll take it. I'll take it, man. So, so because of that, since, since you have you have a good feeling of who I am at this point in the conversation, yeah. dude, I saved most of that money. Like I wasn't spending it on booze. I wasn't spending it on things or, or experiences. I was just stacking it at month after month. And I realized that when I got to like 15, 20, 25K, 30K, I was like, okay, well, at this point, is this, is this a game worth even playing? Like what's the point of this? And then in September 2019, when I went to Summit of Greatness, so Lewis Howes is a big hero of mine. He's the host of the School of Greatness podcast. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to meet him. So I went to Columbus, Ohio, literally the middle of nowhere, to, to just meet him, to see what his event was like. And that event changed my life because I met my business partner there. And I also signed my first client. He called me once and he was like, hey, I need you to coach me. And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. And he, and he said, how much do you charge? I was like, oh, I was going to do it for free. So I was like, uh, I don't know, like a hundred bucks an hour. And he said, sure, I'll give you 700 bucks. And I freaked out. I was like, oh my God, right. somebody paid me $700 for this. Right. Obviously, I'm a lot more than that these days. But when I started, oh, yeah. I was like, holy geez. And that really just opened my mind to this perspective that I never considered before, which is I could do what I love and get paid money to do it. And it just shattered my mindset around it. So it was a really transformative moment in my life. That's cool, man. That's cool. And so from there, what happened? Uh, how did it progress and become a thing that you realized was like catching and, you know, this is working. And, uh, you know what I mean? The first client is always the best. You never forget that. I agree. But, you know, when did it really start to take off for you? Yeah, for sure, dude. I would say it really started to take off probably 18 months ago. So going back to the 2019 event, I met, I met Vomsi, who was my business partner and, and coach. And he's just been a blessing in my life. And and he really took a chance on me. He gave me his clients and he said, well, why don't you coach these people? I just split the revenue. So he really believed in me. And for that, I'll, I'll be forever grateful. Yeah. And then the other piece is just my vision started progressing. And the other piece I think is important to the story is I started losing fulfillment at work. You know, I was doing well at IBM, but I was just in a meeting and I was just said, why am I spending a 60 minutes talking about this technology implementation just because they're paying me a lot to do it? Why don't I spend that 60 minutes just shooting the shit with Todd on a podcast that can actually help people, right? Yeah. So I just realized that 
in that moment a really powerful lesson, which is time is way more important than money. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank, you can't buy your time back. Oh, time and energy. What about energy? Absolutely. I, I, I think energy is a little bit different, but it's very similar in the sense that energy can be replenished if you have the right lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Like there's people in their 70s who have still have the same energy that they did in their 20s. But it's really that time piece that you just can't go back. You can't go back right. to your 20s. Mm-hmm. So when I realized that, Todd, I said, okay, what's the bigger player? What do I want to do with my life? And I just started asking myself the bigger questions. And I realized in that moment, to make a long story short, that no one was really taking care of the next geniuses of our society. Like when Elon Musk, as an example, is 13 years old, living in South Africa, being abused by his dad. Nobody cared about him. All he had was books pretty much and reading Isaac Asimov all the time, design fiction novels. And no one was really sitting him down to say, hey, kid, you're going to be somebody someday. You should probably learn how to speak. And I just thought about the other thousand people who probably live on Earth or the other hundred people who live on Earth who are also have that capacity to make a massive change in the world, but they're all terrible communicators. And they also can't afford a speech coach. And when I realized that I would be the only person they'd relate to because I'm around the same age as them since I'm 12, I thought to myself, hey, like if I became that person, I could be the next Dale Carnegie and really impact the world in a way that literally nobody else is doing. And that just became more exciting for me. So I took the business more seriously. I learned about client acquisition. I learned all the fun business stuff. And I was able to build uh, build what I have today that I'm super grateful for. Uh, it was cool, man. Wow. Congratulations, Brendan. And you reminded me of something you know, I wanted to, of course, do well with you because you're all about communication. But you, I noticed something in uh, our interactions that I've forgotten about. And you reminding me is you're using my name a lot. And I really appreciate that. That's a really key ingredient to healthy communication and getting people to respond to you, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, Todd. I, I do this really subconsciously these days. And and I'll, I'll let the, let the facts show. Your your name is easy to, to, to say. <laughs> <That's good>. so, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's not like you have a European name or like a, a name from a different culture. So it's not the Multiple hardest thing. Syllables, you know. <laughs> yeah, like uh, the first podcast I was on this morning, like tough name then, tough name. I, have to, I actually have to write the phonetic pronunciation on my other screen to make sure I don't mess up her pronunciation. <laughs> right, right, but, right. Uh, but yes, you're correct. You know, Dale Carnegie says this so well. He says the sweetest sound that any human being can hear is the sound of their own name. So when you just say people's names, it gets them to refocus on what you're saying. And also they just have a relationship with you. They feel more connection with you. So something I've done, I don't really do this consciously anymore, but basically when I meet somebody, I try to say their name every like five minutes, A, to help me remember their name and B, because it helps with rapport. Absolutely. That's really good, actually. Yeah, and and I remember learning that, but I think I've forgotten it. So I appreciate the reminder. Um, it maybe will uh, increase, you know, something in my podcast because I honestly don't. I most of these episodes, I mention the person's name in the beginning and in the end, and that's it. That's um, it. But but you reminded me of something really important, and I want to implement that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna steal from you today, Brendan. <laughs> you're all good i mean i took it from Joe carnegie so you're all good it's not it's yeah not right mine exactly that's who i learned it from actually way back when and tom hopkins was another sales strategist that i learned from way back when when i was doing sales you know back in the day um 
But, you know, those days are long gone, man. No sales for me. Or maybe there is. I don't know. Find out after the break. I'm kidding. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, Will Todd are... ever find a sales job? Will Brendan ever be a success? Find out on the next episode. Right, of exactly. <laughs> Tune in next week when we reveal the uh, surprising result of our study. Um, Will Brendan ever smoke a joint? Find right, out next time. Yeah, fine. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd, that'd probably be good to put on a YouTube video just to see, you know, uh, what it's like for somebody. They have a funny, actually, you know, it's off subject, but... I'll share it with you, but there's some really good videos on YouTube that you might enjoy. Um, there are cops and old people smoking weed for the first time, and uh, you might really enjoy that just to see what it's like <laughs> for them, especially the cops, because like they spent their whole life fighting against it, and then all of a sudden they try it for the first time, and they describe what it's like and all that, and the old ladies are the best because they're hungry, and you know they want the chips and the drinks and all that. It's just... Dude, you'll die laughing, you know what I mean? You don't even need to smoke to get a, you know, you can get a contact high off the video. <laughs> it's, like, it's like alternative therapy, I'll take it. Oh, it's so entertaining. People can be really entertaining. Um, but sometimes they're not, and I think that's a big problem in the world. What do you think the biggest uh, obstacle to healthy communication is in, you know, people's worlds today? You know, things have changed over the years, but what do you think really kind of keeps people from being effective communicators, you know, personally, interpersonally, professionally, et cetera. Uh, what do you think uh, really sticks people and kind of keeps them from being, you know, complete in that way and in a healthy way? You know, a lot of people make mistakes in their communication. What do you think causes that? Yeah, for sure, Todd. So I think for me, the biggest barrier that people have is they're not motivated enough to practice. And the reason is because we grew up believing that communication is a chore, like doing the dishes, because every presentation we gave in school was mandatory, not something we were passionate about and tied to a punishment. So let's think about this. High school, elementary school, every presentation you gave was mandatory. You don't wake up one morning and say, hey, Todd, you want to get breakfast and present all day? Like nobody says that. Mm -hmm. And then the second piece around it is really the point around not being passionate about subjects. So you don't really get to pick the subject you want to talk about in school. It's, hey, you got to talk about Shakespeare and poetry. And then after that, you got to talk about the history of Missouri. And you're like, shit, I don't live in Missouri. I don't know what's going on here. And then the third piece is every time you don't do a great job, Todd, you lose marks. Like you lose grades in school. And then when you get to work, you lose performance. So it's not a great setup to actually work on communication. So I would encourage people to just start dreaming about it. This is the question I ask people. How would your life change if you're a great communicator? How would your life change if you're an exceptional communicator? Because communication is so much more than just making money or getting a promotion. It's the way that we raise our children. It's the way that we make new friends. It's the way that we order food at a restaurant and make people feel special. It's about leading a more fulfilling life. And I feel if we looked at it that way, it would be a lot more interesting. Absolutely. I got a strange question. How can you tell the difference between a scandalous charlatan, a scam artist who's really nice and someone who's genuinely communicating from the heart in a positive way. It's it's hard to tell from a purely communication perspective, I would say, because a lot of people, I mean, I don't want to get into this route too much here, sure. but like, let's say we take like serial killers, like a lot of them are actually super charismatic. Like Ted Bundy was a very charismatic, uh, he, he gave that energy off. That's how he's able to 
I guess, have success or unfortunate success. Yeah. So I don't think it's really about the communication. I think it's about the actions behind the communication. So what I would look at is are the person's actions mirroring that's what's coming out of their mouth? So if somebody goes, hey, I'll totally get that for you, and they don't, like that should like, – I mean, I'm not saying you need to call the police or anything. <laughs> Yeah, but that flag, should just give yeah. you an idea that that person might not be fully aligned. If they do it multiple times, once it's fine, but if they do it like 10, 15 times, like we got a problem for sure. Mm -hmm. Is uh, communication a spiritual process or just a physical process, you think? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I would, I would focus on the physical side, and I'll tell you why. The spiritual side is a side even I haven't figured out. That's, that's a journey that I'm still on. Mm -hmm. So I'd say to keep it simple today... I would start with verbal communication. So one example that people can play, it's kind of like a game, it's called the random word exercise. So pick a word like wave or makers or Play-Doh or master and create random presentations out of thin air. And what this helps us to do is it helps us think on our feet and also helps us make sense out of nonsense. Because if we can make sense out of nonsense, we can make sense out of anything. So I would start there. Absolutely. And when people disagree, when they communicate, what do you think is the best way, you know, what's good advice for people who disagree? And I know we don't talk about politics, but we do live in a time where people are disagreeing mostly on that subject and it creates conflict and separation and divisiveness between people that used to get along just great. Um, what's our way out of that, man? Like, how do we heal that divide? Because, uh, to me, that's a big problem. It's one of the things that I believe, you know, led me to do this podcast is uh, realizing that there's just so much separation. And I'd like to get back to where we all can hang out and enjoy each other, even though we have different ideas about things. What do you think people can do to heal that and to learn how to, you know, realize that it's more important that you have relationship in a healthy way and sometimes being humble is a huge thing uh, for people to achieve it's not always that easy for everyone but by humbling yourself and you know coming from a place of love you know communication should be a completely harmonious process but it isn't and what do you think would uh, serve as some good advice for people who never get to explore the depths the true depth of their relationship or themselves for that matter, because of some, you know, inconsequential superficial difference that they have about something, you know, what do you think would allow people to get past that? Like, I mean, this might take a moment, but I mean, really you're speaking to the world. How do they get past this thing that's holding them back from really loving themselves and each other in a non-judgmental way and providing for you know the freedom for others to choose in the same way that they have the freedom to choose simple respect common sense but people struggle with it so how do we address that as a society as individuals and how do we re uh you know shape this thing into something a little more positive that unifies people instead of separates them you think so great point, man. So here's here's the framework that I would propose. It's actually a lot easier than you would think. I would say the first piece is learn to disagree with people you actually care about in your life. Don't worry about the world just yet. Just ask yourself, who are those three people that you disagree with, but that you really care about? I'll give you a personal example with me and how I learned this. 
me and my mother used to disagree all the time when I was younger, like any other mother and son would. And the reason is because we grew up with a very different value system, right? She grew up in a third world country like Sri Lanka, and I grew up in a westernized society, and the value system is very different. So I'll give you a funny one. Like my mom would never let me eat at other people's houses who weren't Indian or Sri Lankan. Mm. So it, didn't, it just didn't make any sense. It was like, why can't I have macaroni cheese at my friend's house? Like, you know her. She's like my neighbor. She's like right next to us. So I'd always get really mad. And then one day I did something that most 15-year-old boys never do with their mothers or 13-year-old boys never do with their mothers, which is to sit them down and just ask one simple question. Why? Why does that bother you? Why is that important to you? So I just listened to her for 15, 20 minutes, and it made perfect sense. The reason she was uncomfortable with that was because she grew up in a civil war. So when you grow up in a civil war, you find out really quickly that you don't want to trust everybody. You keep your doors locked. So after I listened to her, I just said, but mom, we don't live there anymore. And I was able to go and eat macaroni cheese with my friends. Mm -hmm. So so what's the moral of the story? I think the moral of the story, Todd, is what I call relationship visioning. Sure, the, the, the relationship now, you might disagree over a couple of things, all that stuff. But what do you want the relationship to look like? Do you want it to be like that for the rest of your life? And if the answer is no, which I hope it to be, then we can push forward steps to help us communicate better with the people we care about. Let's start there. That's the first step. The second step is always assume the other person is right. And that's the tough reality for us to be faced with. So one one thing that I get people to do is I help, I have them argue each other's side. So for example, let's say both people are getting in a heated debate. I just go, okay, let's say mean you're, I mean, we haven't had one, but let's say mean you're in a heated debate for some reason over whether to eat cookies or cupcakes. So we're, we're just going to argue each other's side. Okay, Todd, you think we should have cookies instead of cupcakes. Why don't you argue cupcakes instead? And Brendan, you argue cookies. So this helps us develop empathy. And then the third piece is just assume good intent. Like for like, I'll, I'll mention something we, we said at the beginning. Like you asked me if I was Indian. I said, oh, Sri Lanka. And you immediately apologized. And I said, who cares, man? It's fine. Like, let's right. just be easygoing with each other. You didn't mean to like harm me or anything. It's, no. and, and I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of just not enough of, hey, like, the, like people are good. Just assume that unless they give you like a lot of reason not to assume that. But I think if we just start it like that, then then the world would just be better. Agreed, man. Agreed. And so to wrap up here today, uh, let's just kind of uh, make sure that people have an idea of what they can get uh, if they come to you and want to talk to you or uh, what it is that you can provide to them and how they do it. And uh, make sure that we know what to do. And I'll have a link to your um you know, to your YouTube channel or your website or whatever you like. Uh, but I just want to speak to the folks that are out there that might want to learn how to communicate better and, you know, what they can do and, you know, they can reach out to you. How does it work? You know, talk to those people and, you know, let's help the world communicate a little better. For sure, Todd. So before I do that, I just want to acknowledge you, man. This is a great conversation for me. I learned a lot, you cool. know, especially around questions I could be asking about my past with my dad, things like, like when you talked about your relationship with your dad, I learned a lot from that wow. because I do that a lot with my mom, like the same relationship you had with your dad, I had with my mom, except my mom was an, an alcoholic, mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't, I didn't have that much with my dad. And I think there's a lot of questions I could have asked him or things that I should be more curious about with the other people in my life. 
that I really care about. So super powerful, man. That's really cool, good. man. Thanks, dude. Of course, man. Yeah. I always learn something from, from the host, and, and that was my big takeaway. Right on. So, yeah, I, of course. So I'd say the two ways to keep in touch. The first one is the YouTube channel, of course. Just go to Master Talk in one word, and you'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to communicate ideas. And then the second way is just come to one of my free communication workshops. I do a free one on Zoom every two weeks. It's live. It's fun. It's not some boring webinar, and I facilitate that. So if you want to jump in on that, go to Rockstar communicator.com right on man don't need to know how to play a guitar to be a rock star communicator do you you know funny enough i actually played guitar from from 12 to 16 and i sucked <laughs> but it's it was okay. fun because okay. of my the reason is because of my left arm because because remember i mentioned it was crooked right so it was hard it was harder for me to kind of play the like to hold the strings so I was good at it, but I could. I, it was hard for me to, to break through. Oh, bro. Um, honestly, I was a bass player in college, and I played in a bunch of bands and jammed with a bunch of people and had a good time, but I was never that good of a bass player. Um, one thing I was really good at was vibing. Like, uh, I could... I could feel the energy and like we could jam like for two hours, three hours straight, like no covers, just jamming and it, and it all works and the changes are all there. And like, it's cool, man. Like there's something really special about it, but eventually you get tired of dragging around the speaker cabinet and the equipment and this and that. And then you discover digital music and uh, you can sit in front of a computer and make unbelievable music without having to worry about your arm, you know? Like, so you might do that if you ever, uh, if you haven't, you know, digital music is amazing and I can help you off, you know, script here and kind of outside of the podcast. If you're ever interested in getting into that, I've been doing digital music for like 25 years and I love it. That's love awesome. it. Love I it. Appreciate it. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think for me, when, when I, I, I guess I always do the when, but when, when I, when I get the level of success, I think I was, I'm probably going to take a piano. I could probably do that. With oh that. Yeah. Beautiful. And a keyboard, you can do all the instruments with it. And uh, that is perfect. So Brendan, and let me just make sure I get your last name correct. It's Kumara Kumarasamy. You got it, actually. Awesome. Brendan Kumarasamy of Master Talk. And uh, he is a communication coach and YouTuber you don't want to miss. So uh, check him out and uh, look for a link at the uh, bottom of the podcast here. So you can go right to his channel and I hope someone will reach out to you or a bunch of people really and glean more from your experience and learn how to communicate better because this world needs it. So thank <laughs> you so much, Brendan. I really appreciate you being a guest on the show today and sharing your experience and wisdom and, and uh, you know, some personal stories. It means a lot. I really hope folks will uh, get something out of this and take advantage of connecting with you. Absolutely, Todd. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Hey, my pleasure, dude. I hope we get to talk again. Thank you for tuning in to the Toddcast Show. If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast Show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also check out ToddCastShow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mira. Be sure to tell your friends and family about the Toddcast Show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode. 
Hi, I'm Todd Murat, host of the Toddcast Show, and I want to share something personal with you today. Throughout my own life, I've struggled with issues I didn't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone. I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the Toddcast Show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part, it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link, betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast to get started today.